This is Unbounded, a podcast from Cross Boundary about business leaders overcoming extraordinary challenges in underserved markets. Each episode, we speak to different entrepreneurs and investors about how they are building businesses in markets that are often overlooked. Hi there, I'm Jamie McInerney, the head of Cross Boundaries Caribbean Advisory Practice. In this episode, we'll be focusing on Haiti, and I'll be talking to two entrepreneurs, Rolson from Solingy and Jude from Palm Blue, and an investor, Jean-Francois from Bamboo Capital. Haiti is the least developed country in the Western Hemisphere and one of the hardest places in the world to do business for reasons which we'll discuss later on. The fact that Rolson and Jude have built thriving businesses in such a hard environment is a testament not only to them, but to the fact that no emerging market should be overlooked. First up is Rolson Kuhn, CEO and co-founder of Solengy, a solar energy provider in Haiti. I first met Rolson outside his manufacturing facility in Port-au-Prince, and I immediately noticed that Solengy's operations were powered by its own equipment. I asked him how his journey with Solengy started. So we founded Solengy almost 20 years ago with very limited resources and knowledge about entrepreneurship. So first we tried in 2004 working through two distributors, one in Sri Lanka and one in Haiti, with a very good initial success that soon evaporated and failed. So in 2007, my brother and I, we moved back to Haiti and we started Solengi Haiti from from the ground with that bold and and long-term vision. So at first, we had to keep ourselves alive through family and friends, limiting finances, and by doing projects with businesses like GSL and Heineken. And in 2019, we, after so many years of trying and failing, we, we decided to put, as they say in English, our money where our mouth was. And after doing a successful project for Heineken, implementing solar container bars, we took all our profit and started our in-house leasing program in 2019. And from there, the business skyrocketed. And then we were able to, in partnership with Cross Boundary, do our first round of funding last year. And now our business, after 20 years of being a a startup, if you want now, we're finally in a growth phase where we can focus on implementing our long-term strategy. Wilson, maybe you can also describe really Solengi's kind of core business, core customers, what it is you provide. So in Haiti, obviously, everyone needs energy, whether it's a residential um, household, whether it's a small business, mid-sized business, very large companies like like Digicel. They, they all have the same challenges with energy not being reliable in Haiti and having to produce their own energy. And we have the same approach for them all, which is we have a very service approach with them and our sales pitch is usually you get two numbers with Solengi, one initial payment and one monthly payment, and everything is included, whether it's the equipment, whether it's the service, whether it's the um, monitoring, whether it's the maintenance, whether it's repairs. So the customer dealing with Solengi, they know they have peace of mind. They sign a contract with us. They have a fixed budget um, over the course of the leasing period, whether it's a three-year, five-year, or 10-year but they know they won't have any surprises. They won't have any change of cash flow or investment down the road. 
and they can really focus on all other challenges that are in Haiti. And they have at least that one box that they can check where they know energy is not part of their challenges anymore. How does the context of Haiti impact your business? And, and essentially, how have you designed the business to adapt uh, to be successful in Haiti? Well, Haiti is a very, very challenging environment to do business. And, and among our friends that are entrepreneurs, we, we usually say that, um, we do business in Haiti because we're Haitian and because we grew up in that environment. But from, from outside, it, it would look almost impossible to have a sustainable business in Haiti. And, and the way we plan or we, we, we strategize our, our long-term vision within Haiti is really to expect at least one major, I would say, catastrophic event per year, um, whether it be an earthquake, a hurricane, a political coup, or um, high insecurity the way it is currently. So we really plan our business and set up our business expecting these situations. Um, And furthermore, what we also plan is we understand that since these major events are happening on a regular basis, we need to to factor in at least three to four months of of losing business in Haiti where we're not able to operate um, um, at all or or very restrictively. So when we're planning our our budget or our sales, um, anything that has to do with our projections, we try to make it viable within a six-month operation within the year. Yeah, certainly Haiti has had its fair share, more than its fair share, I should say, of of sort of exogenous um, events over the last few years. Um, but but obviously your business has thrived even even through these difficult times. Can you tell us a little bit about what has changed in the context of the the solar market in Haiti uh, over the over the last several months? If I if I may go back a bit earlier, thirty years ago it it became on a regular basis that the the main grid um, would not be able to supply electricity twenty four seven. So back then um, there was a manufacturer of batteries, a golf cart battery manufacturers that came with that idea of putting some golf cart batteries with an inverter to to basically bridge over these few hours of of blackouts that you would have on a regular basis. And over the past 30 years, that crisis um, has just um, get worse by the year. Um, and now we have a situation for the last couple of years where you actually have maybe few hours of electricity a day and not few hours of blackouts a day. And, and it may also happen that, um, and this would also happen on a regular basis um, um, during a course of a year, that for several weeks, you might have days without electricity. Um, so this has a need where now, whether you're a small business, a medium size, a large size business, everyone now has to produce their own energy. So mostly this has been done over the past two decades, I would say, with diesel generators. For the past couple of years, with the cost of solar going down, you have more people trying to experiment with solar, to buy solar panels, to try to, I would call them these do-it-yourself solar system, to try to tackle that issue. And last year was really extreme where you had two things that happened and, and at once, um, besides all the political challenges and, and insecurity of the country, 
you had few weeks where there was not di no diesel available in the country. So a lot of businesses were really struggling to, to maintain their operation. So it was a, a very, very big crisis where everyone understood how unreliable diesel was and, and how dependent they were on that. And the second major thing that happened is Haiti has been subsidizing its fuel for the past decades as well. And last year, and that was something that was overdue and understood from, from, from all parties and all stakeholders in the country that Haiti being Haiti with all the restrictions of, of resources and, 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 and financial capabilities could not be a country subsidizing its, its fuel by almost 50%. So the government decided last November of reducing the subsidy, mainly on diesel, and that in itself has doubled the cost of energy for most households and almost every business in Haiti. Yeah, I think it's just to put a fine point on that, uh, we're seeing it not, not um, you know, all over Haiti that the, the sort of starting gun for the transition to solar really went off in December of last year when the subsidy was removed. And now everybody realizes that it's time to switch. But as you say, the difficulty is in is in the upfront costs of the transition and, and Solengi provides uh, yeah, a pretty unique solution through its financing to be able to, to allow customers to pay those costs over time. Yes. So for us, it was a very interesting situation um, because as said, our strategy all along has been to be a service provider. And, and that would be the first difference between Solengi and its peers um, our peers are product oriented. They, they, they sell components in versus um, selling a service. We own our own brand and they usually represent um, international brands that they trying to sell in Haiti or convince the customer that it would be suitable for them. Whereas we design our own solution around the needs of our, of our customers um, and our company was structured for that. So when this event happened, it just played into our strategy where we were already structured for that. Um, and actually, our challenge is now to cope with the demand, that sudden demand, and to see how we can embrace part of that. Now, obviously, our peers also by now understand that they have to restructure their company. So they actually have two challenges. They first have to restructure their company, find solutions that are financeable, find a um, financing solution for their customers. But on top of that, they also have to cope with that big demand. So that has put Solengi in competitive advantage because most of that we've done all these groundwork, if you want, over the past 15 years already. So one of the challenges that we, we faced um, when implementing um, our strategy in Solengi was obviously to find skilled technicians and skilled um, employees um, at an international level, which it is uh, how we operate. So um, what we we, in, we are introducing this year is what we call the Solengi Academy. And, and we, within that, what we, what we are aiming is to help, for example, our technicians. Um, culturally, for example, and many of our technicians, they would go to technical schools, learn about electricity, about solar, but they didn't think about learning English or learning how to drive a motorcycle or a car, which makes them not so interesting today nowadays for, for a solar technician. So all these lack of skills that, that they don't have, um, when we hire today, we focus really on, on their values, on their character, and whatever they miss, 
we train them within solar energy. And so we're actually discussing with, uh, uh, with some technical institution and education and institution and also universities within Haiti and also in the Dominican Republic to collaborate with them where we're going to have between five and 10 trainees every year and that will have the opportunity while they are at school learning the theory to use um, the practice within Solengi, which will obviously give us a pool, better pool of technicians and employees in general, human capital in general. But on the other side, we'll also train other technicians that we might not hire, but that will have a much higher level for the industry in general. Great. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and now ask you more about the sort of financing of the company. What has surprised you about the fundraising process, both good and bad? Our expectations were very negative, actually, because when we first started to try to find other private investors for equity or we approached local banks for debts, and it was very, very difficult, um, not even an uphill battle. Once you would start a conversation, you already could grasp that it would end to nowhere. So our expectation back then was if we were to look international, it would be even worse. So we, we actually never looked, even tried to get international financing. So that's how we started actually the, the relationship with cross-boundary not expecting too much. And it was actually very, very surprising to us to, to the experience that we've done with, with Cross Boundary to be able to put together a business plan, to be able to put together a teaser deck, investment deck, to find potential investors and to discuss with them. And that whole process was, was much more constructive than, than we were expecting. Um, so that's on the positive side. And on the negative side, it was a bit lighter than, than what we would have expected or what we actually needed them to be. But, but what matters and, and what's very and helpful to us is that today we have few partners, international partners with whom we can also grow our business and that can help us beyond that first round of raising. And let me ask you one follow-up question there. What do you think are the major sort of differences or advantages to raising money from international investors versus sort of local Haitian-based investors? So as I was describing earlier on, the environment in Haiti tends to push people into strategizing businesses on a very, very short term. So, and there is no exception to that. So whether it's a technical company or service company or a bank. So banks in Haiti usually would try to be very safe and to, to have customers that have very quick returns on their cash. So typically that would be trading companies, importers, where the risk um, on, on, on a timeline would be shorter. This narrows the pool of companies that are eligible for financing, and regardless of, of their potential, their growth potential or, or their profitability. So I would say that would be the, the main difference that I would that we realize. And when discussing with, with these international investors, we understood that from the outside, actually, they understood that although the environment in Haiti was challenging, that they, they were willing to really go long term. And that has put us in a much more favorable position to, to be eligible for that financing. Great. Thanks. Thanks for that, Rolson. And I just have one final question here. This one's a, a bit broader than the others. Um, and it is, 
What advice might you have for entrepreneurs trying to start a business in Haiti or, or frankly, anywhere globally? Think twice. <laughs> I joke about it, but I actually mean it almost seriously. You have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur in a, in a developing country. Um, so it's very, very difficult. And um, so if you manage, imagine it's going to be hard, you have to imagine it. What would you be willing to do if it's 10 times, 100 times harder? So if you're not willing to, to if it's not within you, where, where you want to do it, where it's beyond you, because you breed entrepreneurship, because that's who you are, don't do it. We've been doing business for 20 years be before we could have some very, very small uh, scale success. Um, and so if we didn't have that, that's a, grit to to really invest ourselves again and again to be challenged again and again to fail again and again over the 20 years we would never have achieved that and and a friend of mine who's by the way also an entrepreneur he, he once told me you know it, it takes at least 10 years to be an overnight success so most people that want to jump into entrepreneurship in general um, and in developing countries, obviously, the challenge is much more would expect or would hear about these success stories that they hear on the press, not understanding that there is at least 10 years of grit and sacrifice behind it. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, thank you, Rawson. We'll now be hearing a little more from the perspective of an investor from Jean-Francois Pien of Bamboo Capital. Jean-Francois works with the Off-Grid Electricity Fund, or OGIF, which has invested in Solengy. We'll hear about their specific market focus and some of the challenges they have working in Haiti. So Jean-Francois, can you tell us about the objectives and criteria for the OGIF fund in Haiti? So OGIF's main objective is to fund the connections for at least 200,000 households and businesses throughout Haiti. We aim to develop a sustainable off-grid renewable power market by funding new products, new financing mechanisms, new companies, and strengthening existing companies. We also want to help mobilize long-term funding from local investors and international investors. OJEF was set up as an investment vehicle with funding from the Clean Technology Funds and a partnership between the government of Haiti and the World Bank Group. The fund is co-managed by Fonds de Développement Industriel, which is a local Haitian DFI, and Bamboo Capital Partners. We are an impact asset manager providing solutions to fund small and medium-sized businesses in emerging and frontier countries around the world. So far, we've invested in over 30 developing countries. Our staff is based in Latin America, in the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, and Africa. So Jean-Francois, your fund has, has very specific uh, parameters and objectives in terms of its investments in Haiti. Can you please tell us what they are? So Haiti's electrification rate has been pretty abysmal. Um, particularly outside of the main urban areas of the country. We're talking about electrification rates as low as 5% in major swaths of the country. Um, we know that the cost of providing renewable energy has gone down, particularly in the off-grid space over the last 10 years. And so OGEF has been set up to finance businesses, both in Haiti and internationally, that 
are keen to address this this major market failure. And can you tell me what are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing to investing in Haiti? So, so there's there's very little uh, data, existing data on the consumption patterns and uh, demand by and the ability to pay. So we're working with partners, including cross boundary, to develop um, this uh, this information that will then inform our financial models and and help us develop terms um, to to our financing that that makes sense, right? And so we're, there, there's, a, there's an immense amount of work that the entrepreneurs need to do with us, with our partners to have a bit more certainty in terms of the data that's, that's underlying um, our, our, their business decision and our credit decisions as well. I was just going to say, I think that's, that's really well said because information asymmetry is something that we see not only in Haiti, but in many of the, the frontier and underserved markets that we work in globally. And it's something that really is underlies the whole thesis for cross-boundary is that we're able to help work with SMEs and investors to overcome the barrier of information asymmetry so that meaningful investments uh, and transactions can go forward. Exactly. It's very hard to convince local investors and international investors that something is worthwhile if you don't have a minimum data to, to back it up. This is a huge issue for us. Uh, and and we're, we're working with all of the partners in this ecosystem to try to resolve in, at each level. What are the, the characteristics and attributes that, that you look for in potential investees in Haiti? There needs to be an alignment with OJEF in terms of what the funding is used for, um, and and the business have to the businesses have to be sustainable, right? But there needs to be this alignment of of use of funds, uh, what types of systems are sold, where they're sold, the quality of their of these systems, the quality of the after sales service, again data collection. So, particularly to speak to the quality of these systems, we want to make sure, or Jeff wants to make sure that we are backing entrepreneurs that bring long-lasting solutions to electricity question. In the sense that any product or installation has to have a minimal life cycle that is backed by distributor guarantees or manufacturer guarantees. And there has to be an after-sell service to resolve issues after the fact. It's very important for our clients to be adaptive and capable to address the issues that pop up from time to time, uh, namely logistical issues. And we look to our entrepreneurs to bring creative solutions as well, not only in terms of their adaptability to the market, but also the actual products that they bring. One of our clients, for which cross-boundary supported the OJF investment, uh, Solenji brings the this this access to finance component directly integrated into their business model, which addresses one of the main market failures or gaps in the market for access to renewable energy. And so OJEF focuses on alignment, adaptability, creative solutions to the problem. In addition to strong ethics and, uh, and a commitment to transparency for um, for the purposes of learning and, and expanding on the, the, the OJF concept. Great. That's a, that, 
That's a great answer. And especially that, that last line is very, very clear and very powerful. Okay. One, one final question, given your, again, your long experience in Haiti, what should potential first time investors in Haiti know uh, as they begin to look at the market? I would say a potential first time investor in Haiti needs to focus on, on the entrepreneur rather than on the market situation and take the market and the, the general macro context as a given uh, in the sense that there will be um, <laughs> there will be sudden changes. There will be bad headlines. This is this is the this has been the norm in Haiti for the past twenty years. Don't focus on the headlines when they pop up. Work with the entrepreneur. Help them figure out solutions. Listen to to the solutions they propose. Be patient because transactions t- will typically take longer than in other markets. This is normal, and so. You and so it's important to make sure that you've you've crossed all the the T's and dotted all the I's to make sure that the transactions and the projects and the companies are viable and their success stories. Um, it's very important as you're developing your pipeline of projects to become embedded as possible with the ecosystem of investors present on the ground. There are local investors that are doing great things and have a glass half full view of the market rather than a pessimistic view on the market. There are international investors, mostly in the bilateral and multilateral community that have been present for a long time, that have institutional knowledge, that have a willingness and frankly, a mandate to do things in the country. So it's important to get to, to know them and understand the issues that they're facing and as best as possible work together. They're, they're looking for opportunities. And sometimes the opportunities that an investor may be looking at may be too small or perhaps not at a stage that the larger investors may be, may be interested in, but that later on they could take the proverbial baton and, and invest in when those projects have reached the level of maturation, maturity. So those would be the, the three points um, that I would, I would focus on. Next up is Jude Jean-Baptiste, co-founder of Palm Blue, an innovative fintech company that manages to see the many challenges of operating in Haiti as opportunities. So Jude, starting at the beginning of your personal story, um, what were you doing prior to founding Palm Blue? You know, every piece of my history and my story has a little bit to do with the founding of Palm Blue. I worked at Citibank for five years uh, when I moved back to Haiti in uh, 1999. It was the time that Citibank was launching Citibank Online, and I was the officer who was trained to train our clients on how to use Citibank Online. And at the time, uh, Citibank Online was a CD that you had to install into the computer, and there was a dial-up, and you had to dial-up and all that. So. Uh, each computer had to be configured for it. So uh, that was my first uh, foray into the online digital finance world. Uh, from Citibank, I, I worked for an international NGO for about five years in the development uh, as their uh, director of finance. And finally, before that, before I started Pablo, I was working for an uh, uh, IFC-funded power plant in Haiti uh, called ePower, where I was the head of finance. 
So I've, I've been in the finance sector uh, my whole life, either, as a, either in banking or as the finance manager for a company. And I've been, you know, a, a lover of technology the whole time. Yeah, that's quite a transition from, you know, the very first mobile banking via CD-ROM uh, to, to what you've founded now, a, a mobile fintech company. But uh, it, there, is, there is a straight line trajectory there. It's just a long one. <laughs> very long. 20 years between the day one and the founding of Publix. Can you tell me about the the problem you were trying to solve in founding Palm Blue? Palm Blue is unique to the Haitian market um, and something new uh, for the, the finance sector there. Can you tell me about your reasons for founding it? The reasons for founding Palm Blue were very personal. As you guys heard, that I'm a professional who worked at the bank. I was head of finance of a company. I was CFO of another, of another company. And believe it or not, every single time to get any financing in Haiti, the paperwork that was, rec- that was required to request any types of loans was basically everything, including, you, you know, you basically had to mortgage your house in order to buy a couch. And my wife and I were lucky because we, we came from the banking sector. And uh, at the bank that, at the time, Citibank was the bank that most of the businesses worked with. So we had credit lines with a lot of the retailers that they were personal credit lines. And in order to get these lines of credit, we had to personally go to every single owner of every single business in Haiti, introduce ourselves, or some of them knew us already from us being their credit officers or me installing Citibank and working with them with Citibanking online. So we had to literally have a personal, we had to build a personal network of stores and, and, and business people that we knew just to be able to live our, our daily lives financially because uh, we had to use money from our savings or pay cash for any purchase that we had to do. So this was very frustrating for us. We were successful uh, in quotes uh, for Haitians, but we still had to struggle in order to get basic financing for any part of our lives that we, we needed to move on. The second issue that, that opened up our eyes was that while I was uh, the head of finance of the power plant, I had my head accountant who had a project to complete. And I told him, you know what, take the laptop, go home with it and you know, uh, finish it because we were working late. And, and uh, if you know the security situation in Haiti, it wasn't a good idea to keep him in the office after a certain hour. And uh, by that time, the accountant was already working with us three years. He was getting a pretty good uh, a salary by Haitian standards. Uh, close to forty, close to fifty thousand dollars a year that he was getting paid, and he says, "Well, I can't work from home because I have no electricity." And he says, "Yes, um, well, you know, and I have to buy everything cash." So uh, I bought the batteries, I bought the inverter, and now I'm left to buy the solar panels. You know, you're looking at this professional, this accountant, who doesn't have reliable power in his house, which means that if he doesn't have reliable power, he also doesn't have a working refrigerator or an entertainment system for at the end of the day when he goes home. And, you know, talking to my wife about this, my wife tells me that, you know, I get a lot of requests of employees asking for loans. I get a lot of, uh, uh, and, and, and I said, you know what? Uh, it's the same thing at, at ePower because other than that incident, the third incident was that every few months we would have 10 to 20% of the staff of ePower, of the company, the power plant where I was working, asking for personal loans. And uh, it was heavy for us at the company to process these loans because these were loans that the company was, was taking out of its cash flow to lend to its employees. 
and uh, and these were interest-free loans, we added an added a extra layer to the payroll processing because in order to process payroll now, we had to do deductions for the loans that the employee owed us and we didn't really have an amortization table. So we had to create a whole, so it was, it was a whole management system for us to be able to give extend loans to our employees. So with these three things, this is where I started exploring all the options. Uh, I am a technophile. And so I, I, I fell back on my tech background and started looking at what could be done. And in finding what could be done, uh, uh, the, idea, the, the idea came in piece by piece. So now what does Pumbler do? At the end of the day, we, had to, we were looking for software that could do what we do. Couldn't find the software. Uh, so we, we found a young programmer here uh, who's actually still with the company and he's uh, one of the shareholders of the company who programmed the first part of the website and, and it is expanding. And what we were able to do is we put together a company that offers three main products. Uh, the first main product is Crazy Staff, which is a credit line for employees of companies. So what Pumbler does now is that Pumbler goes to these companies and tells the company owners and the shareholders of the company, instead of using your cash flow to finance your employees, Pumbler will finance them. That's the first credit. The second product that we put out, Z, which is our buy now, pay later. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk lately about buy now, pay later, but we started this two years ago. Some people have started this 12 years ago. And, and the way we do the buy now, pay later, uh, we went to these same retailers that used to give us lines of credit uh, who had receivables. And we told them, listen, we, we, will, we, we want to take over the risk of offering your clients the credit. So that's Publer in a nutshell. That's how Publer started. Thank you, Jude. That's a that's a great origin story. Um, building Palm Blue in the context of Haiti. Haiti can be a difficult operating environment for all sorts of businesses. I think your business is built, as you've said, specifically to overcome some of the challenges for consumers and people seeking credit in Haiti. But how has the context of Haiti over the last several years impacted your business specifically? I, I, I love that question, and I'm going to say something that, you know, uh, sounds crazy. The political, social, and economic turmoil that Haiti has been going through the last three years since Palm Bleu has been founded is one of the reasons that Palm Bleu was able to survive. And just to give you guys, uh, in a nutshell, what, what has happened in Haiti the last three years, 2019 to 2020, we had political issues called LUC where the, there was an upheaval against the president, where there was general strikes, where the streets were blocked off. 2020 to 2021, we got hit with the COVID pandemic. 2022, 2021 until 2022, we have the assassination of the president, as well as a further political turmoil. Now, how did that help us? In the beginning, with Pei Lok, when there were the, the general protests, we were very in the very beginnings of operating. The, the protest was literally a lockdown and not a lockdown like where the government tells people to stay home. It was a lockdown where citizens were going out into the main streets and blocking the roads off. So people were putting chains across the street. They were, and actually I would, I would send you pictures of this. People were literally building brick walls across the streets, putting gates, putting barricades in order to make, to force people to stay home. So what, what happened was, at that time, Pumbler was working with only one bank and our rate of recovery started going down, you know, precipitously, you guys can imagine. 
And when we were calling our, our, our clients and we're asking them, you know, what could we do to help you? And they were telling us, well, you only work with one bank. Uh, I have this bank that's uh, really close to me. I have that bank that's really close to me. And I have this bank that's really close to me. So during the times of the strikes is the times that we took advantage to go and open bank accounts at each one of these banks. So we we're, so right now, Fonbleu has Haiti has five major private banks, and Fonbleu has accounts in each of these major private banks. And we also work with the there's a there's another online wallet uh, uh, which works through the cell phone company that we were able to open a relationship with them so that we could receive deposits. So from there, we went from a rate of recovery of uh, 75% to or close to 90, 95% during that period, simply by opening up the bank accounts. So the, the political turmoil opened us up to being open to working with a lot of banks. What we had thought about in our original business was to open our accounts with only one bank and try to expand the relationship with that bank. But the political situation made us change our minds on that. Uh, the second issue that happened was, so we had the political issue, the insecurity issue, and COVID-19. Traditionally, when you need to finance something in Haiti, even if you do get the chance to finance it, you have to go to a bank and pick up a, 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 a loan application, even if it's to finance something for $500. You have to pick up the loan application and, and fill it out, and you have to bring it back to a specific branch, which might not necessarily be the same branch that you picked up the application from. And that branch, it would go through the whole system. And about a month later, you'll get a call to ask you to fill out this paperwork. We're missing this document. So the whole process normally took between 30 and 60 days for anyone to get any approved credit in Haiti. So this discouraged people from even thinking about financing uh, a bedroom set, financing a dining room, financing their life. People would not think about it because the work that it took in order to get it financed was too much. So with the insecurity, with the adoption of technology, what public, with the, the value proposition that public was selling the clients now was, listen, go on the website of the retailer, take the price of the item that you want to finance, public will finance it, and you do not have to leave your home. You could log on to our platform, you could log on to our website, you could log on to our app and make your credit request. And once you're approved, you only have to move that one time to go give your down payment and pick up your item. That's great, Jude. Yeah, I certainly Palm Blue and other businesses in Haiti are, are built for resilience. Uh, and a good part of that resilience is the ability of the, the management teams to to adapt to the, the current situations as they present themselves. Let me switch gears slightly and ask you about the fundraising process. What surprised you about fundraising and working with uh, an external or third party transaction advisor? That is a great question. And I like the way you phrased it. You said, what surprised me? And, and, and actually, I have to say the whole fundraising process was a surprise from the beginning to the end. And, and even now, we're getting surprised. In the beginning, when we first started, we did not realize that there was a need for an advisor. We thought we could do it ourselves. Uh, and we tried to do it ourselves. And we had the first, you know, the first investors come into the company. But where the surprise came is once our investors knew that we were working with an advisor, now they became not only more confident in what we were doing, but they also decided to invest more. I think more businesses need this kind of experience. 
So what started happening when we started working with our investment advisor at CrossBoundary is that CrossBoundary started asking us some questions. And the questions that they were asking were very good questions that we had the answers to, but we never asked the questions that way. A lot of the work that we did with, with CrossBoundary, like for example, we already had a business plan. We already had a financial plan, but our business plan, our financial plan changed since the time that we started working with them. Uh, and when I say change, it didn't change in terms of the mission and the vision, but it changed in terms of what are investors looking for? What are you supposed to be saying? And what are you supposed to be doing? If I had to get advice to another entrepreneur who wants to start, who, who's very serious, and I'm sure they're all serious about their startups, is it, it is worth it to have an investment advisor work with you because there are blind spots that we have. Uh, you can't learn everything on the internet. The internet will give you something, but not enough uh, because there's nothing that no, there's nothing that beats boost, boots on the ground experience. Pumper had gotten to a point that we didn't even know how we were going to do our payroll at the time in the very beginnings, and now we're now we're we're trying to decide whose money we're going to turn down. <laughs> so that's a totally different uh, 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 ball game. Uh, we still have a lot of work to do to get to where we want to be as a company. But the biggest surprise was you know, the, 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 the amount of work it takes and the amount of accountability. But the other surprises with the work, with the accountability comes the increased interest in investment. Well, Jude, let me just jump in and say, it's our pleasure to work with a great team, you, you and the rest of the Palm Blue team. So, so thank you for the opportunity. It's been a great collaboration. Jude, thanks so much for your time today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm so glad you were able to share the Palm Blue story on the Unbounded podcast. Uh, we look forward to working with you in the future. We'll talk soon. Uh, thanks for, so much for having me, Jamie. Thanks for the work that you've been helping us do the last couple of years. And we look forward to a couple of more. You have been listening to Unbounded, the podcast from Cross Boundary. Thank you so much to Kimberly Bays from Cross Boundary producer Ned Sedgwick and Steph Masucci for the music.